Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today Weekend. We're going to go to our broadcast partners around the world, get information from them on headline news that's taking place. We'll get the details and then insight into every event that's unfolding, because as the banner over my website says, we look at current events in light of biblical prophecy. So that's key. And I'm so glad you could join us. Keep us here at your radio station for the next 90 minutes, if you will. want to tell you that we're in South Dakota. We're actually in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And that's where our temporary studios are set up. We're going to be at the Northern Plains Baptist Church. We'll be there Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, September 27 to 30. Uh, Pastor Neil Hanna's is going to welcome each and every one of you to come study the prophetic Word of God with us. That's going to be Sunday through Wednesday in Aberdeen, South Dakota. We'd love to meet you. Well, we're going to go now to Jacksonville, Florida. And the reason I mentioned Jacksonville, that's where we find Ken Timmerman, our first of six broadcast partners, and Ken, I guess the president came down to visit with you yesterday. He sure did, Jimmy. It was exciting to be in Jacksonville uh, last night. We were probably 15,000 of us on the uh, tarmac and in the hangar of Cecil Airport. That's a, Navy, a naval airport just outside of Jacksonville, watching Air Force One taxi towards us. It was a grandiose sight. I put pictures of it up on my Facebook page, Ken Timmerman on Facebook. It was pretty exciting. Well, I'm sure it was. And that brings a very important memory back to me because in 1943, I was living as a young child, about three years of age there in Jacksonville. And my dad worked at the Naval Air Station where you were for that great rally. So interesting historic background as it relates to the DeYoung family. Well, let's get into business with uh, the information you can give us on these current events. I understand that Bashar Assad, who is president of Syria and has been in a civil war, I think, for about nine years now, he may be gearing up for a final push there in Syria, especially in Idlib. What can you tell us? Well, Jimmy, the signs are that Assad is going to press ahead in Idlib province, that the Russians have negotiated a deal with Turkey to withdraw most of their forces from that area. What remains to be seen is whether the Russians will also strike a deal with the Kurds to essentially reduce the potential for violence. If they do not have a deal with the Kurds, uh, this could be a very bloody proposition to have Syrian troops uh, move in with Russian air support into Idlib province, which, you know, over a million people, civilians on the ground. If there is not an agreement with the Kurds to limit the violence, this could be a new humanitarian disaster uh, in the making. Point of information, when you look at Syria, and that's what we do often with Ken Timmerman, it's because of the fact that Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40 says Syria will be the number one nation, the first one to make a move in the alignment of nations against the Jewish state of Israel. That's why we cover these current events happening in our world. And speaking of that, Israel is much concerned about Saudi Arabia. They understand through their intelligent people 
that uh, they may be building in Saudi Arabia a nuclear weapon with Chinese assistance. Update us on that, please. Well, Jimmy, this is going to be a slow-rolling story. It's one that people are just beginning to talk about. There have been meetings between the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and senior Chinese officials where the Chinese reportedly have agreed to build a facility in Saudi Arabia to separate uranium salts from uh, ore that the Saudis would then mine in the desert. So there are reports that the Saudis have enough uranium ore to sustain a nuclear program, whether it's a nuclear weapons or a um, a civilian nuclear power uh, program, but they have the deposits, the uranium deposits, in the desert, uh, most likely in phosphates, to um, uh, be able to process uranium. And the Chinese are doing exactly what they did in Iran in building these processing facilities that enable the Iranians, or in this case the Saudis, to then produce uranium. Now, what they do with it is another story. Remember, it took the Iranians 25 years to get where they are today, so the Saudis are just just at the very early phases. The Saudis are not on the verge of getting nuclear weapons, but they are just beginning to dip their toes in to acquire capabilities that in the future could help them acquire nuclear weapons. And speaking of nuclear weapons and Iran in the same sentence, The United States is planning new sanctions against Iran, but they are also at the same time making the statement that they believe Iran could have nuclear weapons within months. What do you know? Well, the U.S. has said, and they've said accurately, that the Iranians now have enough enriched uranium that if they decide to further enrich it, they could have enough for two nuclear weapons within a matter of weeks, at most two to three months. And that is a statement of fact based on unclassified uh, reports from the International Atomic Energy Agency in Vienna, Austria, which is trying to inspect Iranian nuclear facilities. They get a lot of pushback from the Iranians. But uh, the one thing that they have been able to do is to verify the actual kilogram amounts of nuclear fuel that the Iranians are processing. So that is simply a statement of fact that the Iranians will have enough uranium for two nuclear warheads should they decide to further enrich it, which, by the way, the the further enriching from 5% up to 93% uh, takes less time than getting from 0 to 5%. So that's why everybody is concerned about the low enriched uranium, because it takes the most time, uh, enrichment time, to get those first couple of percentage points of enrichment than it does to get the whole 90% on the back end. Well, that's great information, Ken. Appreciate that insight. And when we get together, we often focus on Russia. I understand Russia has just recently announced that they are doing a military forces buildup in the Far East over near China. Does that have to do with uh, China and Russia coming together in military exercises there in the North Caucasus area? Well, that's a good question, because they are engaging this week in significant military exercises in what, you know, the Russian southeast, if you wish, uh, close to the Chinese border. And they've invited Iranian warships to take part in the naval exercises that will be held on the Caspian Sea as part of these exercises. I think this, this deployment that you're mentioning, though, is unrelated to the exercises and is probably more... Um, a response to some uh, domestic unrest in the Far East 
city of Khabarovsk, uh, near the Chinese border, where early in August, the Russian authorities arrested the local governor, a guy named Sergei Furgal, on criminal charges. And that has led to some pretty widespread demonstrations in the far east of Russia. So I think this is more of a domestic anti-riot squad type of deployment than an actual pre-deployment for those exercises that are very important, those military exercises, very important with China and the Iranians in the Caucasus. While this is all going on across the entire world, in New York City, the United Nations having their General Assembly meeting with all the member states coming to participate. President Trump did not go to New York City, to the building itself, but did send a video. And in the video, he said there are more great peace deals with Israel and some of their Arab neighbors on the way. Boy, that was a great positive message. But he was making some warnings as well, was he not? He was. And, you know, it's unfortunate that we live in such a highly politicized environment now in the United States where you can have an absolutely momentous achievement by the president making peace between Israel, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and also, as you say, this announcement that there are more peace deals on the way. It's a momentous achievement, and it's getting virtually no attention from the national media. Why? Because it was done by President Trump, and they have this extraordinary venomous hatred of the president of the United States. President Trump also used that virtual addressed to the United Nations to really hit China hard. I mean, I was surprised at the frankness of his criticism of the Chinese over unleashing the coronavirus. He essentially blamed them for the worldwide pandemic and said, and I believe this is factually accurate because I've done my own investigation to this over the past couple of months, he said that the Chinese could have stopped it if they had acted on the information that they had in hand at, by the middle or at the latest, at the end of December 2019. At that point, they knew that the virus uh, was being transmitted human to human and that the Chinese continued to tell the World Health Organization up until the end of January, so for an, another month, that it was not, that there was no evidence that it was transmissible human to human. The Chinese also, and Trump mentioned this in his address, again, pretty extraordinary, the Chinese shut down domestic air travel in China starting on the 2nd of January. However, they encouraged uh, people from Wuhan, the area most infected, to take international flights to Europe and to the United States where they could infect other countries. And uh, the president pointed this out, and I tell you, that is a very stark accusation of the Chinese. He is basically accusing the Chinese authorities of responsibility for spreading the Wuhan virus. And I think he has got a claim which is potentially actionable uh, in the courts and certainly in the courts of diplomacy. That's the voice of Ken Timmerman. He's the man who covers geopolitical activities for us and gives us great insight on all the issues we bring to his attention. Ken, thank you so very much. Great report, my dear friend. And uh, hoping to be able to have another conversation next week with you. Amen to that, Jimmy. It's always a pleasure. God bless and uh, enjoy free South Dakota. Yeah, I'll be able to do that for a couple of weeks, in fact. Well, we're going to have to take a break. And when we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, not in Chattanooga, but instead in Aberdeen, South Dakota. We're here because we'll be at the Northern Plains Baptist Church Sunday through Wednesday. Love to have you come study the prophetic word of God with us. Many of you may hear our broadcast on VCY America, and if you do, love to have opportunity to meet you face-to-face, and then we can study God's prophetic word. So happy to be able to be here up in South Dakota. I remember the advertisements by the governor. She is always inviting people to come to South Dakota because it is still open. Well, let's get down to business. I promised a Middle East news update from David Dolan. So we're going to go right to David. David, Palestinian leaders claim that the new Arab Accords are being used by Israel to gain their biblical borders. That's an interesting statement. That's found, of course, in Genesis chapter 15, where the borders of Israel, according to God, to Abraham, would include from the Nile River in Egypt to the Euphrates up in northern Lebanon. Quite an interesting claim by the Palestinians. What can you tell us? Well, so far, the agreements that have been signed do the opposite, Jimmy. The uh, peace accord with Egypt was certainly predicated upon Egypt continuing to control the territory that it currently has, although, of course, they did get back the Sinai Peninsula from Israel. So, in fact, Israel's borders were decreased uh, because of that uh, peace accord. Then the accord with Jordan solidified the 
eastern border, as it were, along the Jordan River, more or less. Not formally, but certainly didn't take any land from Jordan. And in fact, uh, they continue to control Judea and Samaria, uh, as they still do today. So in that sense, they gained a little bit, but uh, they did annex the Golan Heights. And the latest accords have nothing to do with uh, the biblical borders, Bahrain and the UAE being on the Arabian Peninsula, south of the Euphrates River quite a bit, so not included in those biblical borders. What it would include, if we reverted to that, would be a portion of Lebanon, a good portion of Iraq, about half of Iraq, and a good portion of Syria, northeast Syria in particular, where the oil is. Of course, that remains uh, the only part of Syria where U.S. forces are. So um, as a factual statement, it's just not true. It isn't that Israel wouldn't like all those borders back and and have all of that land, but it's certainly not on their <laughs> list right now. They're fighting Iran. They're not going to go in and take half of Syria and half of Iraq. There was an announcement, though, Jimmy, that uh, peace talks, and not peace talks actually, but talks uh, are going to begin between Lebanon and Israel right after the Jewish feast days. And that's being facilitated by the United States, and that's mainly to discuss border issues, formalizing the southern border between Israel and Lebanon, but more importantly, to formalize the areas of the Mediterranean Sea that each country is claiming, it being we found rich in oil and natural gas, especially natural gas, and some of that territory is disputed under the sea between Lebanon and Israel. So these talks being led by the U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for Near Eastern Affairs, David Schechner, they are making progress, and it's going to be the first time that the two countries have sat down to talk in many, many years, Jimmy. So that is an important development. But uh, that doesn't mean Israel will get back any territory in South Lebanon. Also, that's included in the biblical borders, of course, but that's not what the talks are about. Very interesting. The Palestinians continue to lie about what is really taking place there in the Middle East. But however, we do know, having read the last chapter, that ultimately those will be the biblical borders and controlled by the Jewish people, in fact, forever, according to the land covenant of Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30. Well, let's get to other issues we need to deal with. Israel is concerned about Saudi Arabia And they're in the process of building a nuclear weapon with Chinese help. I know Saudi Arabia is on the list that possibly may restore normalization with Israel. Uh, But if they're building a weapon of mass destruction, China helping them, what do you think about that? Well, if it's true, it's certainly an important development. I've seen uh, a lot of disputes about those reports, Jimmy. It's not clear that that's exactly what's going on. But if it were true, it would certainly impact Israel. Although, again, it would be under the current Saudi government, current regime that's run the area since the 1920s, the Saud family, basically, it is Iran that they would be building such a weapon against, not Israel. They fear Iran greatly. They don't fear an Israeli strike against them out of the blue someday. Israel being a Western democracy with, uh, you know, elected governments and that sort of thing. So uh, the problem would be that the Saud family could be overthrown and Iran could take such a weapon and add it to its arsenal. And that's, of course, exactly what happened in Iran 
when uh, the United States in particular heavily armed the late Shah of Iran in the uh, 60s and 70s, and then Ayatollah Khomeini took over and took all those weapons and turned them against the United States and its allies. So that's what Israel would fear from such a development the most. Yom Kippur is the holiest day on the Jewish calendar upcoming this next week. And what my concern is, I know how it is in Israel during Yom Kippur, that 25-hour fast, the entire nation shuts down. But back in 1973, uh, the enemies of Israel planned to attack on Yom Kippur. That's still on the minds of the Jewish body politic of Israel, is it not? Well, it definitely is, Jimmy. Every year there's uh, ceremonies held to remember the war dead and the terrible surprise uh, joint attack by Syria and Egypt sponsored by the Soviet Union. But, Jimmy, this year it won't just be Yom Kippur itself where there's a a lockdown. The lockdown began yesterday, 16 days of uh, coronavirus lockdown after a record doubling and then tripling of cases. They went from 2,000 just a few weeks ago to well over 6,000, nearly 7,000 and even close to 8,000 on Thursday, and a 14-day, 16-day, I should say, lockdown being uh, put in place. Most public gatherings are banned. Most people are confined to their homes, Jimmy, so the roads will actually be in a Yom Kippur type of state for the most part for the next two weeks. People with essential jobs can go to work, and supermarkets will be open and that sort of thing, but uh, mostly people will be staying home. The military, of course, will be on full alert. They always are around the high holy days. There's every chance that terrorists will try to take advantage of of uh, the lockdown, too. So although the Palestinians are also uh, suffering huge cases and the hospitals are becoming overwhelmed, that's the main problem. There's a huge economic impact, of course, but the prime minister pointed out that only five of the next 16 days during the holidays are business days normally, so it won't have that big of an economic impact. They're hoping to stench this thing before it just gets completely out of control, and that's uh, a whole different set of holidays than we've had in the fall ever, Uh, just like the spring holidays were also unprecedented with the first uh, COVID lockdown then. Tayyip Erdogan is uh, somewhat of a major player in the Middle East, and uh, I've been watching Turkey. Erdogan seems to have a real soft spot for Hamas. I mean, that is to the advantage of Hamas, to the disadvantage of Israel, isn't it, David? Well, it is, Jimmy, although um, Mahmoud Abbas, the Palestinian Authority leader, has been running cap in hand to uh, Erdogan in the past uh, few weeks seeking funds. A report came out on Friday, Jimmy, from an Arab paper saying that 85% of the funding that the Palestinians were receiving this time last year from the Arab countries has dried up, 85%. So they are just getting a trickle of what they were getting before, and uh, they have to get money somewhere. So Iran and Turkey now becoming the the main funders, it seems, of the Palestinian Authority. But yes, Hamas is their favorite pet. Erdogan is very radical. He's a Sunni Muslim, and Hamas is, of course, very radical, and he's grooming them. He's also working with Islamic Jihad, but is more closely allied with Iran. And as I say, the mainstream PA is now uh, very much entwining themselves with them because they need his financial support. He's taking advantage of that fact very, very much and continuing to increase his 
authority and influence amongst the Palestinians and therefore becoming a greater threat to Israel. Erdogan doing everything he possibly can to be able to get control of Jerusalem, which is a part of his desire, as he wants to revive the old Ottoman Empire. There was a great significance to the city of Jerusalem during that time period. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East, he's been doing it for over 35 years for not only us, but for CBS and other news outlets as well. We're so appreciative of what he does do for Prophecy Today. David, thank you so very much. Stay well, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Enjoy South Dakota, Jimmy, and God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Maurice Hirsch going to sit in for Itamar Marcus with a report about the Palestinian anger because of the Arab Accords. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. We are in temporary studios, not in our permanent studios in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but actually at Aberdeen, South Dakota. That's where we've set up our temporary studios for the purpose of being able to produce the broadcast, but we're here in Aberdeen because I'll be speaking Sunday through Wednesday at the Northern Plains Baptist Church. That will be September 27 to 30, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, the Northern Plains Baptist Church in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Well, let's continue our discussion with our broadcast partners. We're going to Israel right now to talk with a man who is associated with Itamar Marcus. Normally, you would recognize the name Itamar Marcus. He's having some problems with his voice. Taking away his voice is a real problem when you're going to do a radio interview. So he gave us another member of the team, Palestinian Media Watch, Maurice Hirsch. And Maurice is going to help us to understand some of the events happening in the Palestinian community as it relates to the Abraham Accords uh, that recently were signed at the White House in Washington, D.C. Maurice, thank you for being a part of our broadcast today. Let me ask you about the Palestinians. They're angry about the accords signed at the White House. In fact, they're ready to go to war, are they not? Well, Jimmy, firstly, let me uh, say thank you for having me on your program and, uh, and, and hi to all your listeners. Um, in answer to your question, yes, the Palestinians really are very, very angry. Really, for the last 70 years, they've been dictating to the Arab world 
who they can make uh, um, alliances with and who they cannot make alliances with, particularly with Israel. They've had the, really the right of veto over everything the Arabs do for the last, really the last 50 years, without a shadow of a doubt, since the 1967 Six-Day War. And really they have decided that no Arab country will be allowed to make peace with Israel because that would be to leave the Palestinian side and move on with their own best interests rather than taking the interests of the Palestinians um, into account and really putting them ahead of their own people. So the Palestinians are now really feeling very much rejected by the fact that Arab countries are now saying, well, we're no longer interested in being held hostage by the Palestinians. We are interested in looking out for the best interests of our own people, and that best interest means making peace with Israel, coming to normalization agreements, and really setting up diplomatic relations with Israel. You know what's so interesting to me? I'm a student of history. I've been watching history for the last, as you said, 50 years, and the Palestinians have never missed an opportunity over these decades to miss an opportunity and come together with a resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But now, as it's all unfolding, even the Arab League has turned against the Palestinians. Have they not, Maurice? Well, the Arab League, yes, has very much turned against them. They, too, are sick of the Palestinians constantly coming and demanding money, demanding the support of the Arab League. When the Arab League looks on and sees, well, you're being made very generous offers. You've been made multiple offers. You've been made repeated offers. And really... You're the ones who are rejecting all of these offers. It doesn't matter how reasonable they might be. And nonetheless, you constantly come back to us. So already when the Palestinians put their hand out again at the beginning of the year for more handouts and and what they call the financial security net, the Arab countries weren't really interested in helping the Palestinians. The Palestinians have been the recipients of billions of dollars of aid, um, just recently, in response to the Abraham Accords and in response to the, the Palestinian criticism of the United Arab Emirates, the figure came out that in the last five years, the Emirates have provided the, the Palestinians with $1.68 billion worth of aid. And what is it exactly has it bought them? That's what the Arab countries are asking themselves now. That's what the Arab League countries are asking themselves So when the Palestinians tried to convene an emergency session of the Arab League, the Arab League weren't so quick, really, to meet up. When they did meet up, they met at a relatively low level of of just of the foreign ministers, and even then a diluted resolution condemning the peace accords that was submitted by the Palestinians um, was rejected. So really, the the Arab League is, is, is really saying to the Palestinians, we're sick of your nonsense. Um, we're sick of your rejectionism, and we are now going to move on for ourselves. And I think that's an excellent strategy that President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu have put in place. Get all the Arab states on the peace train, and then maybe the Palestinians will ultimately come to the peace table when they see they're left alone. The Arab world has left them standing by themselves. 
I've been watching and listening to what the Palestinian media is being said. That's what your team with Itamar Marcus are involved in, monitoring the Palestinian media. I've noticed several false statements that have been made recently. First of all, that Israelis are occupiers. Well, what are they occupying? If there's no state of Palestine, they can't be occupying a state of Palestine. That makes common sense. Number two, the Palestinians have said Jerusalem is the eternal capital of the state of Palestine. No, no, no. Jerusalem is the eternal capital of the Jewish people, according to God's word. But let me ask you about supposedly this third most sacred spot that is to be in Jerusalem, there at the Dome of the Rock, supposedly the site where Muhammad rode his horse Barak into the seventh heaven. I understand that is somewhat disputable. Can you give us any light on that? Is it really truly a a Muslim sacred spot, the Dome of the Rock? Well, so as we know, it's been common practice for the Muslims really around the world, but particularly in Israel, we saw it, that sites that used to be Jewish religious sites were then adopted and really changed by the Muslims, and the whole nature of the site had been changed. So the Temple Mount, which was the predecessor where Solomon's Temple stood, where then the Second Temple stood for hundreds of years and was destroyed by the Romans, the Muslims came along 600 years later and decided to build a mosque on the site. Whether it has a religious significance for for the Muslims, I think isn't really a question. The Muslims do see it as a religious site, and they do tend to have the belief that that it's the third most religious site in Islam. I don't think that's something that we can really question. The more important question is, is this just solely a Muslim religious site, or does it have relevance and sanctity also for the Jews? And the answer to that is 100% yes. This was a site which, if you read literature from, even from the, the, the Muslim Supreme Council in 1925, we have a booklet in Palestinian Media Watch that was put out at the time that describes the tourist walk around the Temple Mount, and it says that the identity of the site with Solomon's Temple is unequivocal. Now, this is something which the Palestinians do not accept. They constantly use the term that this is the fake temple, this is the invented temple. They try to deny any type of Jewish history on the site, in the site, when really they know that the only reason there is a mosque there, the only reason there is sanctity to the site, is because it was built on the ruins of Solomon's temple, of the Jewish temple. Very, very important history. And in reality, it looks to me like the Arab world and, of course, the Jewish world are going to not accept the lies of the uh, Palestinian people. They're going to move ahead and develop a peaceful Middle East without the Palestinians. Maybe the Palestinians will ultimately catch on. Maurice, thank you so very much. I appreciate your time giving us great insight and historic truth about what's going on between the Palestinians and the Israelis and this peace accord that has been put in place. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. We'll talk again real soon. Thanks for having me. Peace and to all. Stay Stay safe and stay well. Well, we're going to switch to another key region of the world. We're talking about the European continent and the European Union in particular. 
The man covering that lived in Brussels, Belgium, for a number of years, seemingly like 30 years, so he happens to know what's happening, what's going on, and how to give us great insight. His name, John Rood, and John, let me get underway right away. A name out of the past, Tony Blair, has stepped forward. He's making the statement that Israel establishing relationships with the Arab states will likely lead to peace with the Palestinians. Talk to us about Tony Blair and his statement. We're seeing a new dimension of peace in the Middle East by some of the Arab nations coming to some peace terms with Israel. Tony Blair, of course, was a longtime envoy uh, known in the quartet in the Middle East. And so uh, he's still a voice in that area. And uh, it's interesting how he's come up with the statement that the current track of Israel establishing relations with the Arab states could likely lead to a settlement with the Palestinians. That's big news. It's big news. And we see that also one of the drivers that are bringing the groups together is Iran, because Iran and its proxies are uh, creating a lot of discord in these nations. And so, actually, Arab nations and Israel are seeing the, the need to get together, and Tony Blair's idea and concept is that that could create a peace in the Middle East and the Palestinian would join uh, in that directive. And you know, Tony Blair's been at this job for a number of years. I covered Tony when he was the peace envoy for the quartet, as you mentioned, there in the city of Jerusalem. Meanwhile, over in New York City, this is not either in the European Union or Israel, but the ambassador from Israel, Erdogan, who is the ambassador to the United Nations, he actually walked out when Erdogan, who is the president of Turkey, was speaking at the UN General Assembly and was very anti-Semitic in his speech. Erdogan does not miss a chance to be anti-Semitic, does he? This is correct, that Erdogan is really fully playing, taking advantage of everything he possibly can, and, of course, at the grandstand of the United Nations General Assembly. He's really portraying himself as a leader of a cause and a central power figure, rising up just in a complete dictatorial fashion. And here we have the Israeli ambassador that's walked out, Perhaps the real question is, why don't other people, why haven't other delegates objected? Erdogan is a, is a wild card now for the entire world stage and has made a very derogatory comments in the U.N. Assembly and saying that the idea of opening the embassies in Jerusalem from some of the countries that have committed to do so is violating international law and that President Trump is a collaborator with Israel. So it's the main rhetoric as before, but it's stepping up. It, it is escalating. And very interesting question. Why don't other members of the United Nations General Assembly walk out on anti-Semitic speech? Well, one final question for you. Turkey, we'll stay on the subject of Turkey. Erdogan, President, and France's President, Macron, coming together to discuss the Eastern Mediterranean tension that's going on. What do we know? Yes, they've actually gotten together, and it's, again, this is playing out into the hands of uh, President Erdogan. 
is that he has actually created this situation, escalated it, and now say we need the, to have the situation for sustainable negotiations to de-escalate it. It's entirely Turkish pressure. Again, as two NATO nations ready to uh, have a shooting war, the president knows that he has a lot of leverage to get what he wants, and it works really towards his ultimate goals, this ideology that he is a leader for the Islamic movement and reestablishing the Ottoman Empire. John Rood, the man who covers the European Union for us, gives us great insight into all the issues we bring to the broadcast table. John, thank you so much, my good friend. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you. Well, here's a friend that has become a dear friend because of our relationship over the radio. On a biweekly basis, I'm involved in a conversation with Sam Rohr and his team on Stand in the Gap Radio. Sam is the president of the American Pastors Network, and for a number of years, he served in the Pennsylvania Senate. Sam, I would like to take a moment, because of all that's going on as it relates to the replacement of the Supreme Court Justice Ginsburg, and give everybody listening to our conversation a Civics Class 101 and help them to understand how our government works. Now, there are three parts in our government. Those three parts would include what groups as it relates to the government today, Sam? Well, Jimmy, in simple terms, we call them the three branches of government, and they consist of the the legislative or the lawmaking body, the executive branch, which is the enforcement mechanism of government, and then the judicial branch that is there to establish matters and distinguish matters of the law. So it all surrounds law, either the making of the law, the enforcing of the law, or the deciding among questions regarding the law. Well, that's a great beginning as we start our Civics 101 class, but let's take it a little bit deeper. Let's go individually to each of these branches of government and have you give us more details. Now, first of all, we'll go to the legislative branch because that's the branch of government you participated in there in Pennsylvania. Talk to us about the legislative branch. What are they supposed to do? Well, in in very simple terms, and keep it simple, because God made it simple. If I can, Jimmy, I want to go to one verse of Scripture, first of all, I think, to help lay the foundation in this regard. Isaiah 33, 22, says this, For the Lord, that's Jehovah God, the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king. He will save us. You know, God himself, as the supreme authority, is the only authority that has the right and has the ability to actually execute the functions of authority, which means government. That's the same word. Government authority means the same thing. He's the only one who is able to take and put all three together, lawgiver, legislative, judge, judicial, and king, executive. And, and our founders fully understood at the beginning of this country that uh, because we were dealing with a God-created system of authority, God delegated authority to Jesus Christ, 
and under Jesus Christ sits individuals, family, church, and civil authority. All Civil authority, individuals, self-government, self-authority, all means the same thing. That's the structure that God laid out. And because our founders knew, and those who understand the Bible know, that man is depraved, man is sinful, right from the womb we go astray, that because of the sinfulness of man, the tendency of any man who gets in a position of authority, left to himself and unchecked, will become a tyrant and will want to seek to become like God. Now, what does that mean? God means they want to be the maker of the law, the enforcer of the law, and the determiner of the law. And our founder said, no, you have to break that up. There's only one person, God himself, can actually execute and move forward those three together. So they divided them. The lawmaking branch, really, Jimmy, is the most fundamental of all the three branches of government. And I say it this way. We call them three equal branches, and to extent they are, but if there's one that would be perhaps more equal than another, if I could put it that way, uh, I would say it's the lawmaking body because of this reason. Until there is a law, there is nothing to enforce. There is nothing for the executive branch to execute. If there is no law, there is no basis or work or job for the judicial branch to do in the deciding of that law. So the fundamental basis of law, out of which then comes justice, out of which comes the, then the three branches of government, is the lawmaking body. And I think that's where God, when in the Old Testament, started right out by laying down the law. And he said, you follow my law, then I will bless you. The lawmaking body is for that purpose, and it fits in that format under God's grand plan. And from a biblical basis, then God delegates legislators across the entire world in human government to bring human law to existence in order for God to direct mankind. Now, the executive branch has that responsibility of making sure that this law is abided by. Is that correct? That is correct. And so the executive branch, again, not the maker of the law, as we're seeing today across this country, a very big problem. But the executive branch awaits and does work with, under our system, the legislative branch. There's a cooperation there, but the source of the law, the, the making of that law, is the legislative branch. It goes to the governor in our state or the president on the federal level, uh, or it could be you know, perhaps a mayor on the local level with city council. There's an executive branch component of all of them. That individual then is responsible to carry out the law. And I will say... Uh, Jimmy, that and herein is a very critical part. That executive branch, to operate under the law, and I'm going to say under the pattern that God has established, uh, must be careful to enforce the law only, only enforce the law, not add to it. But here's the other point. That person in the executive branch properly enforcing it cannot choose on his own not to enforce certain laws. Laws are made to be enforced, just like we don't have as individuals a right to say, I'm going to pick and choose which of the Ten Commandments, laws of God, I'm going to follow or to put into effect in my life, uh, or, or parents to say, well, in a home, uh, children, we're going to follow some of the Ten Commandments, but we're not going to do some of the others because we can decide. No, 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 no. God says if you're, the, if you're to carry out the law, you carry out the law 
fully what it is, not adding to it, and not letting some out. That's properly done executive branch, as we know it, prescribed scripturally and constitutionally. And then if there is a debate between the legislative branch and the executive branch, the judicial branch, the Supreme Court, steps in to interpret what the original intent of the Constitution was on that particular law. That is correct. It is their duty and their authority as given to them to interpret and to say, well, the question that has come before the court could be in a matter of a lawsuit, it could be a matter of a number of other things, where somebody says, um, I don't believe what the law says, and someone else says, no, I'm going to enforce the law, a uh, local police officer or executive branch of some state, whatever that may be, and they say, no, this is what the law says. And the individual who's now been charged with a crime perhaps says, uh, no, I don't think that's what it means. That then goes to the judges, to the judicial branch, who sit behind their desk, and they hear the matter. They hear the case, and then they decide, well, now this is what the law actually says. This is what the legislature or Congress who passed the law, this is what it says, and this is the intent. This is what they meant, and this is the application. Now, based on the law, um, you're either guilty or not guilty, or the case either falls or the case goes forward. But that is the purpose of the judge. And again, not ever to make the law, as we're seeing many judges around this country do, in violation of their constitutional oath and a usurpation of the lawmaking authority. They are not to make the law. They are simply to decide the interpretation and the application of it as it would be brought before the court, generally by an executive branch going to someone else and saying, you've broken the law, we believe you're guilty, and then that's what goes to the court for determination. And when there is a vacancy in that judicial branch, which there is today, there needs to be someone, the president, executive branch, appointing a justice to fill that vacancy, and the Senate, the legislative branch, to give consent that that would be the man or woman who could fill that position. Now, having said that, is any way the president and the Senate, the present president and Senate, using a abuse of what they understand the law to be or their power and to accomplish what the Constitution calls for? Well, the, well, as you say, the vacancy that now sits before the court is an obligation of the president, executive branch, head, to appoint a replacement. And as you said, the Senate is there to confirm that replacement. Right now, uh, there are nine justices of the Supreme Court. One of them, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as, as we're discussing this, has now died. That seat is open. There's some discussion Jimmy, right now, by some that are saying, well, the president should wait. He should wait until after the election. He should wait until after a new president uh, is seated. And the president said, no, I need to move ahead because that's what the Constitution says. And in reality, I can say constitutionally, there is no reason for a delay. That spot is to be filled. It is appropriate that the president wants to move swiftly and even today on our program, I shared these things. There are four individuals, believe it or not. James Burns, appointed by Federal FDR, 1941. George Sutherland, appointed by President Harding, 1922. William Taft, 
appointed by uh, President Harding, 1921. Edward White, appointed by President Grover Cleveland in 1894. Those four individuals actually were, uh, were nominated and they were confirmed by the Senate on the very same day. So it is not a problem for this president to move ahead with, a, with an appointment with a seeking to fill this vacancy before the election as it is coming up. Folks, you understand why I had a conversation with Sam Rohr. He is a knowledgeable individual who served as a legislator in the Senate of the state of Pennsylvania. But he knows how God's plan for human government was brought into existence from a biblical perspective significance on each and every step of a human government leading God's plan into the future for all of humankind. Sam, very important conversation. I wanted our people to understand what the truth is, and then they can make their decision as to how they would confirm in their vote or deny someone who is moving ahead following biblical principles and the law of human government. It's a great Civics 101 class you gave us, Sam. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. God bless you, my friend. See you on the radio next week. Thank you, Jimmy. Great to be with you. We're going to have to take a break right now. When we come back, David James is standing by for our weekly conversation. We're going to focus on the brand new book by Jonathan Kahn and his rally in Washington, The Return. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in Aberdeen, South Dakota. We're here because of the fact we'll be at the Northern Plains Baptist Church Sunday through Wednesday, September the 27th through the 30th. Pastor Neil Hannes is inviting each and every one of you, those who listen to us on VCY America, to join us as we study the prophetic Word of God for these four days. Come and join us, the Northern Plains Baptist Church here in Aberdeen, South Dakota. I want to remind you that I have a poll question I would love for you to answer. Do that after the broadcast because I do not want you to miss one minute of what my broadcast partners bring to the table as we have our discussions. David James, by the way, standing by for a very important conversation. Here's the poll question. It's on the left-hand column of the home page. The question is, do you think it is better to study the prophetic passages of the Bible than to spend time reading the books on the end times that have been written by popular authors that often misuse the Word of God and the facts of history? That's the poll question. Please answer it if you will. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a weekly conversation. We focus on an issue that is key to the body of Christ, to the church, for the purpose of having a biblical perspective on that issue, which, of course, will help us in our daily walk with the Lord. This time we're going to be discussing the newest book by Jonathan Kahn and the return a gathering in Washington, D.C. 
But David, before we get to our main topic, I wanted you to mention some of the feedback that we received from our listeners concerning our discussion on QAnon last week, both positive and negative. Well, Jimmy, as you know, when we take on controversial subjects, some agree with us and some don't, and that's understandable. We didn't actually get as much response as I expected, but one listener wrote this. I listened to the weekly broadcast of PTRN with Jimmy DeYoung and heard your recent comments about QAnon, and I totally agree. Another listener had this to say, I'm on Twitter a lot, and I've seen many tweets about Q, etc., and I'd say your overview and analysis analysis was spot on. It was concise and used non-biased language to describe the movement, not easy to do. Uh, But there was another person who wasn't quite so happy with us, or rather he wasn't happy with me. He wrote this, after listening to your weekly broadcast yesterday, please immediately fire and prohibit from even having another iota of a voice, the mindless, vain, confused, and hurtful David James, from ever appearing on the show again, which hopefully you will see was obviously manifested in his comments and analysis about QAnon. He is not worthy to be there, and his terminated partnership is justified. So, Jimmy, this listener had nothing but good things to say about you, and that's certainly understandable. Uh, But what I don't think he understands is that you and I agree on almost everything, and you know ahead of time where I stand on the issues, and we agree on the topics we discuss, or you wouldn't have me on the program. Well, absolutely correct, David. And uh, let me just ease your mind. I'm not going to fire you. That uh, report from that email, uh, quite a strong report and quite interesting to see how his thinking was. Well, let's continue because we may have something controversial in the conversation this week. A couple of weeks ago, we received an email from a listener that relates directly to our discussion this week, which is on Jonathan Kahn's newest book and an event in Washington, D.C. that he organized and is headlining this weekend. Well, that email was from someone in another country, and she contacted us because she found one of our programs uh, when we discussed Jonathan Kahn's last book, The Oracle, and actually we did two programs on that, and it was exactly a year ago this month, even this week. And she wrote this, I am hoping you can tell me where I can purchase the PDF or a Kindle version of your book, The Biblical Guide to the Shemitah and the Blood Moons, and any other digital materials you might have about Jonathan Khan's books. She went on to say, I'm quite concerned because someone in our church is leading a Bible study and has been sharing excerpts from the Oracle, and this person also saw an interview from Jonathan Kahn about his latest book, The Harbinger 2. And finally, she said, I was looking for something to explain my discomfort regarding these books, and I found the radio interview you did with Jimmy DeYoung from Prophecy Today, and it helped me to see that maybe my discomfort was real. So I was able to arrange through my publisher, The Brilliant Call, to get both of my books to her in PDF format, free of charge. And one thing that's troubling is that Khan continues to have quite a bit of influence, both nationally and internationally. And unfortunately, he gains a 
hearing uh, for two main reasons, I would say. The first is that he's ethnically Jewish, so he's seen as a biblical scholar of sorts, and the second is that he's positioned himself as a revealer of mysteries, uh, seeing things that no biblical scholar has ever seen, and I would say for good reason. Quite interesting, that email coming in from one of our foreign listeners. We're not only heard on our network of stations across the United States, but of course around the world on the Internet as well. Well, David, I know that we've talked about Jonathan Kahn quite a bit over the years, but as you mentioned, it was a year ago when we last discussed his work. I thought it might be good for you to bring some of our newer listeners up to speed on who Jonathan Kahn is and what he has actually done. Well, he's the pastor of Beth Israel Worship Center in Wayne, New Jersey, and the church's website says this, Jonathan Kahn caused quite a worldwide stir with the release of his explosive first book, The Harbinger, which became an instant New York Times bestseller and brought him to national and international prominence. His next books were also New York Times bestsellers, The Mystery of the Shemitah, The Book of Mysteries, The Paradigm, and The Oracle. And it also says he was named, along with Billy Graham and Keith Green, one of the top 40 spiritual leaders of the last 40 years to have radically impacted the world. So, Jimmy, as I said, uh, Khan has positioned himself as a prophetic voice, and uh, he finds and supposedly reveals biblical mysteries that no one has seen for 2,000 years, and these mysteries are supposedly guiding current events, primarily in America. And in my experience, unfortunately, he's not afraid to shade the truth and twist things to convince people of his supposed discoveries and make them seem even more sensational. And in fact, yesterday I was on Facebook Messenger with a Bible teacher who is Jewish, who knows some former members and workers at Bath Israel who left because of these things, and he said that's why the church has the high turnover. And back in 2012, when I was working on my book, The Harbinger Factor Fiction, I actually had two former members of his church contact me separately who said exactly That is very interesting information. And I do want to get to Jonathan Kahn's book, his newest book, David, and how it fits into what he has written over the years. I was wondering, have you been able to have a chance to read his new book yet? Well, I haven't read the whole book. I made it about 70% through, and I've skimmed most of the rest of it. Its title, again, is The Harbinger 2, with the subtitle, The Return, and it builds on its first book, The Harbinger, which had the subtitle, The Ancient Mystery That Holds the Secret to America's Future. Uh, So his newest book was released on September 1st, and as of yesterday, it was already out of stock. It has almost 1,300 reviews on Amazon, and of those, 1,164 are five-star ratings, with only 12 being one-star, which is troubling by itself. It ranks number one in church and state religious studies, uh, number one in biblical fiction, and number one in Christian mystery and suspense. And uh, it's Khan's seventh book since 2012, from the ones I mentioned earlier, The Harbinger, The Harbinger Companion, The Mystery of the Shemitah, The Book of Mysteries, The Paradigm, The Oracle, and now The Harbinger 2. And The Harbinger 2 is a novel, like the first book, and also like the first book, Khan says that this, 
what you are about to read will take the form of a story, but what is revealed in the story is real. And the underlying premise is that America is in a covenant relationship with God, like national Israel, because of uh, vows made by some founding fathers, and so Old Testament prophecies uh, and promises and blessings to ancient Israel uh, are also applicable to the United States in, in what I call parallel theology, as opposed to replacement theology. And, and so the warnings of judgment by the prophets, starting with Moses, also apply to the United States, according to Khan. And with the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, they're now being fulfilled according to what he describes as a biblical template, which he says was a fulfillment of Isaiah 9:10. You know, as you mentioned, the subtitle of the Harbinger 2, that subtitle is The Return. And that's also the name given to the event that's happening even as we speak right now during this weekend in Washington, D.C. Give us some information about that. Well, back in July, Jonathan Kahn announced a national and global day of prayer and repentance for today, September 26th. And one website ran an article on July 21st that said this, Jonathan Kahn, author of The Harbinger and many other bestsellers, has launched the return, a national and global movement of prayer and repentance culminating in Washington, D.C. on September 26th, 40 days before the presidential election. Kahn also told CBN News, America is in deep, deep trouble, and the return is a chance for America 40 days prior to our next election to return back to God, just like Nineveh. And the return website says this, the return is a movement and appointed time and a specific day set apart for one purpose, the return to God by coming before his presence in humility, in sincerity, in prayer, and repentance. And Khan is one of the main organizers, and the website notes this, Jonathan Khan's prophetic word to America will be given between 11 a.m. and 12 noon Saturday, September 26th. And, Jimmy, there's a very long list of guests and speakers that includes well-known and good people, but not necessarily theologians like Michelle Bachman, uh, Ben Carson, Alveda King, and Mike Lindell. And I don't know a lot of the speakers, but I'm guessing many are charismatic, with some of them being high-profile, like Pat Robertson and Stephen Strang, who is the founder of Charisma Media and is Khan's publisher, and I would say the greatest publisher of heresy of our time. And to be honest, uh, some on just scratching my head over uh, men like uh, Mike Huckabee and James Dobson. Yes, that would uh, cause me to scratch my head as well. Well, David, from a biblical perspective, how would you respond to all of this, to Khan's theories, and also to the return event? Well, first of all, I would say I'm not at all against calls for prayer and repentance, and America certainly needs a spiritual awakening and a revival, because America is in serious trouble, and every day it feels like evil is gaining the upper hand, and this is only intensified during this election year, as you and I have talked about. And the stakes are high for believers in this country and around the world. The cons theories in this movement are built on an unbiblical foundation. Vows made by some founding fathers did not create a covenant relationship 
relationship with God, such that prophecies and promises of judgment and blessing made to Israel alone apply to America. And Second Chronicles seven fourteen about my people called by my name does not apply to this nation. And in order to convince people that his revelations of these mysteries were supposedly downloaded by God into his mind, uh, Khan grossly mishandles the Word of God, misrepresents historical facts, and manipulates statistical data. Uh, he's not a prophet, but unfortunately, like QAnon, there's enough truth and interesting coincidences to draw people in. And another concern is the return is very ecumenical, people setting aside theological differences to be a part of it. These are serious problems, and I don't think there will be a long-lasting biblical impact. Well, indeed, I would pray that God's Word would be brought forth into the minds of those who are watching what's going on in the life of Jonathan Kahn, his latest book, and, of course, the event there in Washington, The Return. David, thank you for your research on this. It's very important. We give the body of Christ, as we always say we're doing, a biblical perspective to what is happening in the issues that we discuss here on Prophecy Today. Appreciate your work. Thank you so much, my good friend. We'll have another discussion next week. Thanks, Jimmy. I'll look forward to it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll take the Bible. We'll go to God's Word. Not my theories, but God's Word. We'll take a look at the book as it relates to all the reports from our broadcast partners today. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today 
for us to take a look at the book. We went to our broadcast partners to get details behind the headlines in the news today. These men also gave us great insight on these news items that we covered with their assistance. These reports are key to those of us who are students of Bible prophecy. In a moment, as I give my prophetic perspective on these stories, we actually will be looking at current events under the scrutiny of God's Word, the Bible. If you missed any of these reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. It's on the right-hand column if you'll scroll down. There you'll find PTRN. And there you can listen to these excellent reports. And do me a favor and a favor to your family and your friends. Pass along the link to them so that they can listen to these reports as well. However, right now, I want to give you my prophetic perspective on these reports. Ken Timmerman, who covers geopolitical activities with us, we focused with Ken on Israel's concern that Saudi Arabia is building a nuclear weapon of mass destruction with the help of China. Now, for sure, we do not know the truth of this story. However, what we do know is that both of these nations are mentioned in Bible prophecy. Saudi Arabia, found in Psalm 83 and verse 6, mentioned as the Ishmaelites. Book of Genesis, chapter 25 and verse 18, says that is where Ishmael went to establish one nation. Genesis 17:20, and that nation was Arabia, today Saudi Arabia. Of course, we know that China is one of the members of the kings of the east, as referred to in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12. David Dolan then came to the broadcast table with his Middle East news update when he talked about the Palestinians making a claim that Israel is using the Abraham Accords to extend their borders because they believe they have biblical borders for the future. Well, the statement by the Palestinians is a false statement. However, it's a true philosophy that the biblical borders of the state of Israel will be fulfilled in the future. It was based upon the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18, where it says the borders will extend from the river in Egypt, which is the Nile River, to the Euphrates River, which is at the northern part of the nation of Lebanon. And that would include taking half of Egypt, all of Israel, all of Lebanon, all of Jordan, all of Syria, as the state, the biblical borders for the Jewish state of Israel. You must understand there are 38 passages in the scriptures, which would then include in those biblical borders, in addition, three-quarters of Iraq and three-quarters of Saudi Arabia. And so the Palestinians, false on one statement, true on the other. Speaking of the Palestinians, Maurice Hirsch came to replace Itamar Marcus. Itamar's under the weather. 
So Maurice, a member of the team at Palestinian Media Watch, talked about the Palestinian anger over the Abraham Accords and their readiness to go to war with Israel. The Palestinians are hated, by the way, by the Arab world. Thus the impatience of these Arab nations and moving ahead to establish peace with Israel through the help of the United States. You know, basically, God does not like the Palestinians either. Go to Malachi chapter 1. You'll see that the Palestinians, the Edomites of biblical times, will return. They will rebuild, but they will be rejected as well. The Lord says, I will call their borders the borders of wickedness and have indignation against them forever. The little book of Obadiah says the Lord will wipe the Palestinian people, the Edomites, off the face of the earth as if they have never been a people. John Rood gave us his update on the European Union. We talked about Tony Blair. That's a voice out of the past. And he was at the White House in Washington, and he made a statement during the signing of the Abraham Accords there at the White House that President Trump's plan was the way to go and ultimately bring the Palestinians to the table. Blair worked for over two decades trying to make that happen. He sees the Trump approach the way to go. Sam Rohr gave us a Civics 101 class, and we talked about the President and the Senate not abusing their constitutional power. Sam has a background as a member of the legislative branch of government as he served in the Senate of Pennsylvania for almost 20 years, so he has the right to give us this civics class. And we must remember, based on what Sam brought to the table, that God established human government that ultimately was set in place, Revelation 17, 17, to accomplish his will. David James and I took a look at Jonathan Kahn's new book, Harbinger Number 2, subtitled The Return, and we talked about the rally taking place in Washington on the weekend. Please re-listen to my conversation with David, then spend time in the more sure word of prophecy, Second Peter 1.19. Spend more time there in the word of God than reading man's thoughts and theories on the future. God's word is absolute. If you missed any of these reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you can listen to these excellent reports. And do me a favor, and a favor to your family and your friends, pass along the link to them so that they can listen to these reports as well. You know, all of these excellent reports are tangible evidence that the world is at the point in the biblical prophetic scenario of God's Word for the next event to take place. And that next event is the rapture. Jesus will shout, Archangel will shout, trouble God will sound, and we will be caught up to be with Him forever in the heavenlies. And by the way, that rapture could actually happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.